welcome to this episode of the Shaw Cloud Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Matt Davis and Yang Zeng, and we're going to be talking about GRC, past, present, and future. And my personal view that the market has really been historically underserved by any of the solutions that have been on offer. Enjoy. So guys, I would argue that the GRC market has never really been served historically with the right type of solution. So if you look back 20 years ago to the sort of start of the market, everyone was doing things differently. No real standardization, no real best practice. Certainly from my experience over the last 15 years, you come across customers that were doing a bit of this framework, a bit of this approach, they're kind of mixing and matching. And it really drove the need for configurability in software, which didn't really lead to a lot of standardization. And I think over the last sort of 20 years, there's been a huge amount of maturity, but very different market dynamics that I would still argue to this date have never really been a totally fit for purpose solution to the GRC problem. How do we feel about that statement? I would agree with you, Nick, because if we look back on how organization operate, right, we organizations started in the last century to try to become more optimum in how they operate and build specialities and specialize in specific areas. That's why we create different function silos like IT function or, you know, security function, finance function, HR function, et cetera. But as time goes on and more scrutiny and regulation comes into place, suddenly, you know, the business or the steering committees or the overarching um, boards suddenly realize they don't have a full grasp of what's going on. How do we comply with things? And then if you look then into the mid-2000s, right, then different kind of GRC or quotation GRC platforms start to emerge where different vendors try to challenge specific needs around, you know, control compliance or risk management. And then with the Enron scandal, as well as the world scandal, then, you know, SOX came to place in the US that suddenly there's a big demand on some kind of tool that can help business, especially the listed ones, to become SOX compliant. So from that point already, the starting place had multiple reasons of entry. So it was never started as a kind of a clean slate where from a philosophy perspective, from a market demand perspective, it was a single direction. It was more of a mixed match of all kinds of needs. So it, it kind of become natural then as the last 15, 16 years evolved that more and more different type of you know products, different type of needs, then all kind of get sucked into the space of GRC and it's hard to then harmonize and standardize it. Just last bit I want to point out is if you look at the tools on the market, right? Some of those tools historically were additional function they added on top of the ERP solution. Others came from you know a business process management solution perspective. And there are also CRM perspective, you know, architecting management that tools that try to evolve into the GRC space. So it's it's just a completely mixture of all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of needs. And that's where we're at today, where it just doesn't feel like a, a clear market of what is the true business value that is needed to be delivered in the GRC space. I guess at the outset, they did meet what they were made, meant to do, which was be compliant with, with socks, really. I mean, look, everyone started with socks. I mean, that's kind of what it all evolved from. And then it, I think everyone went very wide, I guess, in like the mid when I got into it probably 10 years ago, like it was just like, how many use cases can you do? And let's try and do everything in one tool. But, but nobody was focusing on like, what's the value of putting everything in one place? Because yes, we can put everything in one place, but if it doesn't talk to one another, I mean, what's the value in it? And I kind of think that's where, I guess, a lot of the 
bigger players that have been around where people ended up is they put everything in it, but they, none of the data talked. Yes, they had broken down silos, let's say, but it wasn't giving you unified risk reporting, which is kind of what it promised, or unifying compliance reporting. And do you think that was driven by the software vendors, though, or by the big consulting companies that saw an opportunity that actually, if you've got very configurable software, then you can have very strong revenue streams that come off the back of that. I think the first one is software software vendors wanted to do more use cases so they could sell more things. But the depth got, I feel as they got wider, the depth of their solutions got smaller and smaller. And then that obviously played into, here's a consulting revenue as, I mean, me and Yang X consulting was you could then do a lot of consulting work configuring it which was great for big companies but a lot of small companies didn't know what they wanted and they were just like uh okay that'll do and then just messed with it changed it and just ended up with it wasn't really fit for purpose because they got a process which was generic on purpose so you could change it without a lot of guidance because it was designed for consultants or business people who knew what they're doing to configure it which kind of only met the very top end of the market who had a large amount of money to spend, really. Do you, do you think there was any sort of focus on the data collection side of things from the wider organisation? Because my, my sort of impression is that it was very much focused around the individuals that were being serviced directly, the risk professionals, the compliance professionals, but there wasn't really much back then focused on how are we actually going to get real value out of this where the actual data exists from a source perspective? So I think in the back of these large businesses' minds, the data collection and trying to you know, understand the overall picture of how their business is operating from the risk and compliance space has always been there. But the immediate need or the actual involvement in procuring a product might not have extended to the large picture. So what we tend to see is, like Matt mentioned earlier, is it was a competition where all the vendors with large product try to showcase that they can sell all these different use cases, but they're not experts in the domain. So it's very shallow. And that gives an opportunity for you know big consultants to come in because although they don't have a GLC practice or they don't look at things holistically, but their operating units and their revenue generating units are based on being experts in those silos. And on the other side, you have immediate business needs like align with Basel, for example, which is a thing you know, 10 years ago, a big deal for most uh, banking organizations is how do they align their operating risks to the Basel's regulation. And scenarios like these kind of made it a priority to then procure product to fit that specific need. And then if they bring in then the experts, the risk experts from a big consulting firm to build a complicated um, solution, it seems to have ticked all the boxes they need, made their life easier in that space alone. But what that meant was it's harder than for the organizer to understand what are the data in this whole module or the silo that we can fish out to serve the bigger picture? And I think when those happen in different times and happen to be done in silos as projects and as solutions, it hits a point that a lot of customers are frustrated today that they still aren't getting the benefit of what that GLC umbrella is trying to offer. I guess the other thing, Nick, to what you're saying there is like, it, I don't think data collection was an important thing. There was kind of an assumption that the risk team or compliance team just got the data and then they use this as their tool to manage it. But I think historically, embedding it in the business as a self-service tool was not a core requirement. It was, how do I manage this process? I think one of the things that Yang was saying there is, I think the other assumption is that you got a, when you've got a GRC tool, you would assume that it holistically integrated, which it kind of can, 
but it requires quite a lot of thought and know-how to make that work and a lot of compromise and decisions which probably wasn't explained to people they said if i get risk compliance tprm whatever in one solution it should just work that's probably what they were sold the dream the reality of that is we all know that that requires a lot of people to agree on a lot of things to make all of those things talk and i think that's where in the past it has failed is it's promised a lot that giving unified risk or compliance reporting unless i've gone into greenfield accounts where they were doing it from scratch i've barely ever seen people achieve it it's just so hard because you've got different people different processes and different wants and needs and getting them to agree without it being greenfield is almost impossible these days but just to add to on that said if we want to look out there on the market we immediately see that it's not achieved because for most large organizations out there they can't use the reporting capability in a grc tool to satisfy their board pack so that tells you that when these solutions were built the need of the board was never properly thought of. Okay, so if I go back to my original statement then, do you think it's uh, it's fair to say that this isn't the vendors or the service providers' fault necessarily? It's more a function of the fact that the market is so immature and that because it was very new, everyone was trying to learn what was really required. So when you're talking about the data collection hadn't been thought about, clearly that's a major thing now is how do we get the data from the first line? So that's something definitely that's matured in the industry. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, look, I mean, I think historically where it's failed is like you say, data collection, thought, I guess, over-promise, <laughs> under-deliver, I think is kind of where I would probably say people were. And then I guess like it's moved into like where we are now, which I mean, to me feels like a large amount of people are moving to two or three GRC tools because it's integration is easier between them and using them for even buying specialist tools, one-off tools. But I think they tend to try and like to bring them together in a central point. Smaller companies still maybe want one tool because it's more cost-effective. I think a lot of bigger companies have ended up with like, you take a lot of the big banks have (laughs) three or four GRC tools because they can't agree on what they want and they've got no consistent data model. Because if we look at, I'm just thinking about a specific use case to put more context or examples around what we just discussed. If we look at operational risk, that's a perfect example because operational risk looks at not only the risk you have in operation, but also what kind of mitigation you have in place. And in the last 10 years, most of the operational risk team, when they secure a product and start using it, they have their own version of what the control library is, but they are not responsible for the compliance activities in business. It's just the lack of communication they have there that led to that they'd rather trust the list of controls they have and then they do what's called a, you know, a RCSA to understand what residual risk they have remaining at different business areas. And the reality is if they are no longer siloed um, work streams, they should be collecting that compliance information from the back office through the, the IT team, through the information security team and through other operating units to understand the overall compliance against those operational risks. I think the main thing that people are starting to focus on is like, really, like as we keep saying, this embedding and getting people engaged. Because I think, and no, I think we've spoke about a few times about this. It's not just about obviously engaging with the first line, but it's setting now like, and again, this isn't a tooling thing. This is about thinking realistic expectations. It's like, if we want to engage the first line, how do we engage them? What do we need from them? Like, if we say we need 50 things from them in order to make it work, which I mean, historically is kind of what they've been asking, then there's your kind of first failure is you're asking them to do something that they really a lot of the time don't want to do and you're making it difficult for them. So it's like 
yes, technology will help if you embed it well into the first line and make it easy. But the big thing is thinking about making it easy to engage with you. And I think that's where GRC's tended to struggle is practitioners probably don't think about engagement. They get very much in the process that they want, but not thinking how do we engage and improve quality over time. The other struggle with the GRC industry is also because historically we're trying to comply or we're trying to buy a tool that helps us comply with certain immediate needs. So it's a very reactive audit-based approach on how you manage your risk and your compliance frameworks. And what that meant is when you go into designing the solution, either as a vendor or as a business, you're looking at immediate requirements, but the world and the landscape is not static, right? Business evolved and expanded to different geographical locations, which has new regulations. And even internally, you know, the government may come up with new regulations. And then suddenly they get into this really painful cycle of every two, three years, it becomes buy and regret. So they need to look for a new tool, not because the old tool isn't good enough, but it's just the old tool isn't fit for purpose on their new needs anymore. Do you think that that's because of what you've just described that because I, I always think that you tend to overcomplicate if you try and plan for the future too far in advance that's my experience anyway is that we've um, certainly with the approaches where it's a big consulting engagement which tends to be loaded into the first year generally although will inevitably go on into the second and possibly third years because of that nature of that big consulting engagement the cost of it I always got the impression that clients, certainly our clients as well, when we operated in that way, would be looking to fully load that initial implementation. You've got one shot at getting this right. So let's get everything that we possibly can to future-proof this particular implementation approach. The reality is all you end up with is something that is totally overcomplicated in the first instance because you've added in things that you might possibly need in the coming years. And I think that's where the frustration gets is that you end up with something that is, is just not usable in the real world. So when it gets out there into the embedding and adoption phase, which a lot of, again, organizations aren't focusing on, nobody can use it. And you get the wider community complaining that it's just too complex. You get first impressions always count, users rejecting yeah. you know, the software, and you're back to, okay, well, it's the software's fault. <laughs> And therefore, we should choose something else and then make the same mistake again. And that's something that I always found really interesting with this industry in particular. It seemed like the roundabout or the carousel of the big vendors that established the industry. And there was a kind of joke in the, the market of, oh, which one are you using this year? And I don't, I don't think that's fair on, on the vendors. I think certainly the implementation side of it, the implementation partners had a big, big part to play, as did the customers. So I think there's an equal shared responsibility at that point because the dynamics are wrong and they're not fully aligned in terms of what they're looking to achieve, which is what we're finding these days. Simplicity has to be key. So have a have a plan to mature over time. Don't do everything in the first implementation of it. Get up and running, get the users on board, embed that part, and then move to the second stage of the maturity model or path that you're going on. I think that's something that I've certainly come to that opinion. I think the other side to that is the level of expertise that are on offer from the software side that isn't a full-scale big four consulting engagement. I think that's where you tend to have implementation consultants that 
because you have the ability to configure software, are happy to say, yes, we can do that without really testing, is that sensible? Is it going to work in the technology long term? Is it going to be right for the business in terms of how you're operating? Or is it one individual in the room's view of how it should possibly work for everyone else you know, to come? And I think that's where you can get into real issues. You need a certain degree of expertise from a domain perspective that is in the room, that understands the technology intimately, that can negotiate with the business users what are the most sensible deviations from what every vendor is trying to do and deliver the mature, more best practice approaches to you know, integrated risk management that we see in software today. I agree with you 100%. Simplicity is key and complexity is what's killing a lot of these implementations. The only difference based on my experience and what I've seen is that the complexity is not because they've thought about the future and then made the requirement complicated, is that they've down, went down a rabbit hole where their entire focus on complexity is taking a topic and try to make it an academic research. They come up with all these fancy ideas, all this different supposed future requirements, et cetera, and made it into experiment, which looks perfect on paper, but when you implement it, it doesn't look at the bigger picture. And this is the problem with GRC spaces. Most business out there today, and some have realized this, but most haven't, is they see risk, mod, uh, risk teams, risk functions, compliance functions as a cost center. So they allocate budget to deal with it. But there hasn't been a business drive to say, well, if I'm trying to optimize risk management or compliance management, how is that helping my business objective? How is that helping my financial performance, right? On a bigger, grander scheme. So when that's why when you go into these workshops, there's never a thought about what is the true business value for business rather than, okay, I'm not going to get fined by this regulation because I've thought about all these complicated scenarios. And then these scenarios don't align well with the new regulation that comes out. And then suddenly it's like, oh, this tool is useless because no one likes it. It's too complicated. It's supposedly future-proofing. But now we got a new regulation on the horizon and it just doesn't serve the need, right? And that's that's what we see today. Yeah, they don't focus on like generic functionality that can be reusable over time. And I think that uh, what you've ended up with is uh, historically we wanted loads of flexibility because we didn't know what we wanted. The current state is we've got that flexibility, but there's a disconnect. And look, there are obviously great implementations that have happened, but you tend to have maybe non-risk people or risk people, but no technology background. And you haven't got that right mix. You end up with a solution that, look, it kind of works, but how do you measure if it actually added value above and beyond just automating the existing process? For me, that it's got to do more than that. Like your aim has got to be, I want a measurable outcome so I can see what this process does and how I can show value to the business. Because what Yang was saying there is like, compliance should be a differentiation. If you can do it quick, well, you can enter markets faster. If you're a technology company and you can build secure compliance systems quicker, you're at a huge advantage, right? Because, <laughs> I mean, we've seen it, the, the security questionnaires. If we can show very quickly how we work in a massively, well, a secure by design process that's got embedded everything in, that is a huge differentiation. But like people don't think of it that way. I mean, some people do. I think technology companies and manufacturing companies clocks on that this is a huge value to them as an organization. But in other organizations, it's just become like a huge cost center. I mean, financial services is a prime example where <laughs> you just see armies of people working in risk and compliance for the sake of just kind of 
ticking a box in some cases. Yeah, look, I think you're right. And, and don't get me wrong, we're not immune to any of the challenges yeah. that I talked about at all. Yeah. <laughs> and I think some of the things that I've experienced, certainly firsthand, uh, make you start to think that actually software is not the be-all and end-all, ultimately, from the expertise that we've already discussed. I've been in, in demonstrations where clearly you have great demo environments with demo data sets that show lots of really interesting things. And I've then gone to an implementation meeting where we go live with a customer and it's kind of, well, where's all of that really interesting stuff you showed me during the, the sales process? And I'm like, I don't know what you mean. And I was, all the risks and everything like that. I said, well, we have you know standard risks that we can provide you. No, 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 those risks, you had a, like 200 risks, they're really detailed. Yeah, those are the demonstration risks. Those are, they're not they're not your risks as such. They're a starting position, but clearly there's you know there's work that has to go into you know to this. And I think that's a certain level of market that again from a maturity perspective, the good news is that there is investment into uh, GRC as a as a product category and as a very worthy thing to do. And clearly, it's you know driven by perhaps mandatory requirements. But I do think there's still a lack of understanding around the undertaking of what it really needs to to get value out of the investment. That kind of brings me on to um, we're over in Gartner, the uh, Risk Summit last week, and they were talking about something you mentioned there, um, both of you, around outcomes. And they're really big on outcome-driven metrics, and it's something that we've been talking about internally for, for quite a while now. And it was kind of refreshing to hear and certainly Paul Proctor has been talking about this for many years now around justifying the, the investment in certain areas of, of cybersecurity as a whole. And perhaps you're overinvested in certain areas, but how do you can convey that to the business? So I think outcome driven metrics and, and the approach to that is definitely where, where it's at. Yeah, for me, it's all about contextualizing things to value to the business. So you need to understand like, okay, as a business, what are we aiming to do? Generally sell more, <laughs> make money. But what, what do you need to do to do that? And then you look at what are the assets and processes and services that make you run, right? And how important they are to you. And then everything in your security program should be in ensuring that your critical business services and processes are secure working and moving forward and, and i mean it seems like a really basic thing to think of it that way but so many people haven't always looked at it from they get focused on business areas silos and ultimately that's not how a business works yes there are silos but it's process driven finance is across many different things your sales process is across many different functions and it's looking at things cross-functionally and then looking at the things that support it and it's kind of creating if you think about it at the beginning, like a map at the beginning of the center of GRC tool of what's important to your business. And then all of your activities should hang off that so you can contextualize it. And I think that's where people have fallen over is it gives you a lot of data, but how do you sieve through what's important to you? Like, how do I know what are the top 10 things I need to do? And I think it's not easy. For me, that's the future, which is how do I look at that, well, I guess, overarching view and then contextualize it so I know what's important. I agree with that completely. So from a future of GRC perspective, I think that's going to be one of the key topics that a vendor needs to address to become a leader in this market, is how do you contextualize all the different data, make different work streams and functions speak the same language. So 
when it goes to the board or goes to senior management, they know what actions need to be taken to make the business operate better rather than solve a specific risk problem or compliance problem that doesn't or is difficult to align with actual cost and benefit. The challenge with this is twofold. One is, are we getting the right amount of expert, both from a vendor side, from an implementer side, as well as from a customer side, to actually create that value? And two is, are people willing to put their own career at risk to challenge the status quo? The second part I think is more difficult based on my experience is one, a small organization don't have that much experience, which then resonates to your example earlier, Nick, is that when they see a demo, they like the data and said, why can't we have that risk data? If they don't have the maturity, they want a quick win. So they're looking at demo data and think that's relevant to their business. They can use it, but if they do use it, it's probably not serving the best need they have. And it's still going to struggle to solve any real business problem apart from showing an auditor or showing uh, a regulator that I've complied, right? It's a very reactive work. For larger organizations, the problem is even bigger. It's policies and structures existed in the business for way longer than their career. Is someone senior willing to challenge the status quo and, and put their career at risk, right? And eventually, we're going to hit a point where business have to look at these problems. But the problem now is most customers are either inexperienced or not willing to be bold enough to challenge those. And then that makes us in the industry kind of stuck in a limbo where we want to serve the, you know, the more cutting edge stuff to make this better, but we're only receiving requirements to solve a small problem. I think what, what it needs to be is it needs to be embedded with proper expertise and guidance. I mean, look, I mean, I know it's where we're heading, but like you should be selling software, great, with very good built-in best practices, right? So look, kind of the starting point is you should be able to use the software out of the box as it is for me and it work, right? That you should be able to comfortably say that you could take it as it is, but what you should be then looking at is like, how do you adapt it or enrich it to meet your business needs? And in some cases that is gonna be, actually, we just need help populating the data and getting things gone. So like how, like running risk workshops to your example before Nick, like we should be running risk workshops. You shouldn't be asking for the demo data because you haven't got any risks. What you should be asking for is I need help running workshops to understand my business risks, right? And I think that's where the industry's got to go is like, yes, software's great. It helps. But also giving them meaningful content in relation to their business and making sure they can use it. For me, that's that's the missing key here is we've got so focused on let's configure it. But like, yes, you configure it. But what you need is a good data and good processes, it, for me, is the main thing. And do you think that's the, the, the case for the enterprise level, though, as well? Because they clearly have a huge amount of expertise in-house. Is it the same? No, I don't think it is. But I, do you know what? I think you can b- break the market in two there, where you've got first-time, mid-size organizations, and you've got the big enterprise. I mean, the big enterprise, I think, ultimately will do what they want to do, because they've got, as Yang said, very mature processes, and that's how things are. And look, you may, and some organizations may change it, but then the rest of the market is kind of, I feel, underserved. Like they get given <laughs> this really complicated thing that you can configure and then you can go and ask someone to do it for you. When really what they want is tell me how I can do a good job and tell me what I need to do and help me along that journey. And that for me is like the biggest value to, to organizations. I mean, look, the enterprise customers will always do what they want to do, which is build it exactly how they want because they have the budgets, time and resources to do that. I think, look, I think you're right. And I think that's spot on. I think there is 
definitely a massive gap where you have application software that can serve the masses. It's simple. You switch it on, you get up and running, and it does a very good job. And then clearly there's how do you mature from there. But the problem is with maturing from there tends to be a very, very big jump to the enterprise software, which is configuration-based and big engagements with large consulting companies that are very keen to be very detailed and in-depth and broaden out the scope as much as they possibly can to um, obviously deliver a very, very comprehensive solution. But the reality is it's overkill for that missing piece in the middle that needs something. You can't get away from the fact that organisations complexity increases as they grow. And that complexity does mean that you have to have a degree of flexibility in the solutions that you then offer those types of organizations. So application software that does one thing, one thing well, isn't going to serve those needs. But it doesn't have to then go to the nth degree of, well, here's a blank canvas, what do you want me to build for you? Yeah, and I think if you take, like, I guess the current we kind of get, isn't it? It's like, that's where we're at. And I look at the future, it's like, what what has failed to date is like look kind of the enterprise have done have worked because they figure out a method to build four different solutions they've got a lot of budget and they build solutions that are fit for purpose for them some cases like you say they might rotate them but i think they most of them would say look it works it does what we need it to do i think it's really failed in the mid market like the mid market have really not been serviced particularly well by grc to this point they've probably had to spend more than they would like they've been probably ask questions that they would rather just be guided through. So I think that's where the biggest failure is. And and look, the lower market has helped because there's a lot more, like you say, those kind of very simple solutions there. But I think that's where we've ended up. And for me, the future is embedding, making sure you, I mean, the, the immediate future, like the next two to three years is getting the business to buy into GRC being just part of what they do and seeing the value in it. And that, that's a process thing. That's an embedding thing. And obviously, the technology makes that easier. After that, it's like, how do I begin to automate this? And I don't mean just process automation. I mean, how do I retrieve data in real time? How do I show value of actually when we're building applications? And I mean, applications like something that maybe some technology stack. In real time, I know that's been built in line with our compliance standards and security standards. Because that's where people want to be. They want to be knowing near real time or real time what's going on that the controls are working effectively and that there's evidence that they're they're managed with true automation yeah i think um, one of the things that you said earlier actually was quite interesting around you know the early days being about breadth a solution yeah. and trying to you know where are the boundaries of our grc program well they're not set yet because we can yes we can do that yes we can do that but i think that yeah you've mentioned about a much more of an acknowledgement around depth as being very important and integrations. So is that something you you, know, you see as, as where we're at today and the future is that there will be specialists in certain areas? I feel so. I feel like, and I think fundamentally you want different things. Look, you want them to report together. Like if we take a traditional three lines of defense, which is non-IT, I mean, look, you'd argue now IT is a very large component of any business risk, but the way you manage it is still different, and I think it always will be. And the, the focus is one is around assets and services, and the other one might be around entities and processes. So look, they need to join together, but they you need different specialisms. And for me, like depth in each of these areas, like financial risk, cyber risk, you need depth in those now. Like these are getting more complicated. They're getting 
a lot bigger risks and you need to have that depth of the capabilities to deliver it. And to your point there is like the other thing is like automation and integration is absolutely critical. I mean, in our space, in IT and cyber GRC, you can't be an effective player without good integration capabilities and data analytics capabilities because that is where you've got to be. Like you need to integrate large data sets, you need to run rule sets over it and you need to be heading into that way to do well, automated testing, automated scheduling of, of controls. So you can do this in real time. And that, that to me is the big win, actually. That that um, continuous control monitoring and, and key risk indicators and the rule sets, et cetera. Uh, that, I think that's fantastic. That's potentially in organizations. But that sounds like a very mature organization that would benefit from that. Whereas, again, I, I, I think still in the area that we're talking about of the market, there is still that maturity journey to go on. Keep it simple, get it up and running, roll it out to the, the, the population that needs it, embed it, then start to build on it. Is that the approach or are you saying that you could take a, actually, let's integrate these feeds now, set up the rule sets and, and benefit from both at the same time? I think there's two folds on how we approach it, right? So for the immediate future, I mean, the next two to five years. So Nick, what you said about those complicated feeds, et cetera, that's definitely for the enterprise level customers because that's the next step, right? Understanding the wider, you know, um, part of information out there, you know, news feed, et cetera, understand how they can integrate it and make decisions out of it. But for the the customers that's in between, you know, the the, the very um, small organization, the very large enterprises, for them, I think the biggest change that needs to happen is understand what key metrics they have as a business. And these key metrics, you know, if they're not ready because of the maturity curve to talk about external feeds, it's looking internally on what those metrics are. Because I can give some examples, right? We have key risk indicators that's often implemented in GLC solution, and then we have a risk register. The majority of customers that use key risk indicators are actually manually updating the indicator score. But the reality is those key indicators exist to contextualize the risk data. So the next step as a business is how do I automate my risk assessments and my residual risk outcomes to then feed those indicators. And equally, business have key performance indicators, but they don't look at it from a risk space because if a key performance indicator fails, shouldn't there be a risk element to it? And if they start thinking that way, then they can automate the approach of creating new risk into the register based on that. And suddenly they'll achieve the level of automation. And I think the other thing to look at, that's why it's causing medium-sized organizations to feel like they're constantly under stress over more and more budget to go into the risk and compliance space to meet new regulators is that they're only focusing on understanding and reacting to their risk and compliance landscape. The missing integration there is the outcome of your compliance and risk activities. How do you automate that to improve your operating processes? And that's another area they need to look at. And once they can achieve those, without looking at any external feed or external factors, they already optimize the way they perform and GRC tools already added much more value to them. You do need to get the fundamentals right. There are fundamentals to every program that needs to be embedded, i.e. you need to know what your, what your data structures are. So what it is, like assets, processes, that kind of stuff, it's obvious. And then you also, on top of that, need to then probably have well-documented controls. You can't automate stuff if you don't really know what you're supposed to be <laughs> compliant against or what your risks are, right? So I think that is the first thing. I do think technology is moving in a way that you're going to have be able to get this continuous monitoring capability into your environment fairly quickly. 
obviously it still requires and always will a high level of setup because there is no standardization in how people implement these controls, what technology stacks they use. So that is going to be the challenge over the next few years, which is, yes, the capability exists, but how do I embed it quickly? Because I don't see that being solved in the next 12 to 18 months, if I'm honest. It sounds like GRC all over again then. I mean, look, it's hard, isn't it? Like to write a script for every possible way and every single tool that you might use to check like segregation of duties, joiners, movers, leavers, if the correct things have been, uh, settings have been set up in AWS or Azure. I mean, it's just going to take time and it's also going to require people to focus on what's the most important. And I think that's the thing with this automation is there's no way on earth you're going to do everything at once. So what are the biggest risks? And then automate that and then work your way over it. Again, same things we keep saying, maturing the program over a three to five year perspective. I think you're right. I think um, the, the, the pace of change of technology these days is so rapid. As you say, to try and keep up with that with a standardized rule set would be pretty challenging to say the least. But risk frameworks, approaches to risk management, process maturity, those sorts of things, as well-established ways of implementing those in organizations with the caveat that clearly there might be some non-negotiable processes that have to operate a specific way in that specific organization. Yeah, agreed. So I think definitely like we should be giving them good start of a 10 in the future. You shouldn't be asking them like, how do you do a risk assessment? I mean, I think most people now should have a fairly standardized way of doing it with a couple of variables to change. I think the big thing is like how you measure value of it and over time. And I still think the future requires you to add value of what you're doing in your GRC program. Like what value has this done over a 12 month period and how have we delivered that back to the business? And I think, think of a CISO, like that's what they want to be doing, isn't it? Focusing on like what value have I given the business from, well, from my GRC or security program. And I think that's the problem that clearly the expertise side of things solves is that you're not focusing on the mechanism to do something. You're focusing on the value that that, activity actually delivers to the business. And I think it's a mindset shift in a lot of the approaches that organizations are taking today. Tracing that philosophy, like Matt said, or the maturity curve is correct. However, like what you said, Nick, technology is ever-evolving, landscapes ever-changing. I think for organization that is evolving and have some kind of framework and process in place, it's time for them to take a pause and review their frameworks and ask themselves the question, is the real need here is that we need to make our process and frameworks even better? Or is the real need here that we're not getting any value out of it? And if it's the latter, then the question is, how do I make more value out of it using a GRC tool by optimizing and automating things that I can? Because if you keep pursuing these maturity curves, you're always doing a research work that is going to be cost-driven. And at what point are you going to stop and say, okay, now I have the I'm ready to talk about a tool, right? So I guess one thing that we haven't really talked about for the future, well, the present and the future is the place of AI. And what is you know, the thoughts on the reality of that being able to be a major part of GRC? I think it's critical because it's where technology can genuinely deliver on making programs more efficient. Because process automation is great. It does make it more efficient, but you can start to say, actually, we saw this risk six months ago. You did X, Y, and Z. Do you want to do this again? Once you can start to apply learning or past behavior to doing things, the processes will become much more automated. And 
I know we spoke about it before is you can then focus on people being freed up, not doing their just review and checking. They can actually say, this is something different. We need to go and look at it. And you're paying like highly skilled risk and compliance experts in a lot of the time to do very repetitive mundane tasks. You can start to free them up to work on strategic initiatives and actually adding value to the business rather than being mundane in the, in the day-to-day admin jobs. And what's your view on, uh, so in the world of multi-tenant architectures, anonymized. So if we're talking about AI in the context of an organization and you did this X number of months ago, do you want to do it again? What's the view of actually having more of an open, anonymized data set that would allow a greater insight into how peers are perhaps treating risk, for example, in other organizations? I think it adds value. Obviously, you've got to get people to buy in to it. <laughs> but like, I think it's useful as long as it can be in similar industries. I think that's the main thing is like, you probably don't want to be comparing like someone with a low risk tolerance, like maybe a manufacturing company to some high risk tolerance organizations in terms of how they do things, maybe like a technology company, because the same learnings won't apply. But as long as you can do it to similar industries or similar risk tolerances, I think it adds a lot of value. I think you can learn a lot from that. I guess the biggest thing is getting people to buy into the value of it and then to understand that sharing their data is a good thing. I think you're right. The last part is around the sharing the data piece. I think people buy it, certainly in my experience, they buy into the fact that being able to benchmark against peers is quite a powerful thing to do. As you said, it has to be a, a relevant peer of a similar industry, perhaps size, perhaps investment profile as well. But I think that's definitely something I've seen a lot of organisations say, that's yeah, that'd be really interesting because then I've got the ability to then speak to my seniors, the board, potentially, and say, well, actually, we're totally underinvested in this area or not. I guess there's, there's definite value in it. Yeah. It's just whether you can drop it down to the sort of decision-making from a risk a risk treatment or a control and compliance perspective that makes it of operational value as opposed to high-level benchmark aggregating. Yep, definitely. And, and I think there's one element we need to add on top of the amount of buy-in is also we need to have a level of expertise on the market to determine who are the more mature frameworks that's going in into this, because what we don't want is immature you know, um, previous behaviors to become then the benchmark purely due to the volume. And as someone, everyone gets recommended in a way that's not the most efficient way to do something.